right, so welcome this morning to uh, the Faith in the Fast Life podcast. We are so excited to have all of our listeners here, and this morning we have Evan Kuzaba, who told me that it's like Mufasa, so I'll never forget it because it's uh, Kuzaba like Mufasa from The Lion King, and we all loved that movie as a kid, so um, here you are, man, just uh, stoked to have you, uh, an incredible skateboarder. We get to have Evan down at the... Uh, uh, rail jam down here with the stunt dudes uh, just doing some awesome stuff on uh, on skateboards and just uh, pretty extraordinary you know uh, it, uh, the things you do and I, and I love like watching your videos and stuff the video you sent me last night um, I love what I call outside the box skateboarding right like it's yeah. not just in the skate park it's like well I wonder if I can make this skateboard go down this or if I could leap off of this roof and land on that shed and then all the way down to the ground and try not to kill myself. So love it, dude. So stoked that you're here in person with me. Uh, just, just a blessing to have you here, man. So, so tell us what's, what's up, man. I'm stoked to be back. I was down for the rail jam and, uh, every so often, like every, maybe once a year or a year and a half, I get to meet up with the stunt dudes and fellowship with other really uh, intense believers who are are trying to go go fast after the Lord and and proclaim the gospel message. And so that's such a that's like my little vacation where I get to go and fellowship with the close brothers that I've developed that relationship with, and then go serve alongside them in the trenches out in public. And other than that, you know, I'm not I'm not often doing a lot of ministry that's that style. So yeah. that that was really special to come down here again and fellowship with those guys and meet you guys and see what you're doing down here with your ministry. Yeah. But yeah, my day in and day out doesn't look anything like that usually. Right. So so tell us, like, uh, how old are you now? I'm 34. 34. How long have you been skateboarding? Only 24 years. Only 24 years. But you stayed with it the whole time, man. That's awesome. So what, uh, what got you into that? Uh, that was, I think I was an active kid, tons of energy. So I would like run and play with my dog and do sports and collect baseball cards and all the, you know, traditional American stuff. But there was uh, an interest in the physical stuff. So I was riding my bike around. When my mom got rollerblades, I stole those from her and went and played roller hockey in the streets because the Mighty Ducks came out. Yeah. So that's yeah. that inspired me to get out and start moving and using wheels a lot more. And um, then I had a neighbor across the street who had an older sister dating a skater. And so that uh, relationship would be the the guy that his sister was dating would teach him a trick and then we'd hang out and he'd teach me what he learned. And that was really fun, but I had a really junky board that was, you know, the entry level board with plastic wheels and plastic trucks. It didn't turn well, but it was what the big box stores always sell. So now I teach skateboarding and I, I constantly encourage parents like you can do better than buying the cheap one because your kids will hate it and they'll leave it in the, in the garage forever. Yep. But I had a junky board and was it um, a Nash by chance? Totally. Yes. It was a Nash board. I remember the Nash boards. On, uh, online, I've recently found pictures of that specific board again. And uh, it's like it's got this saw blade on it and this um, hockey mask with the holes in it. Like the, is that I'm, Jason? Yeah, I pretty, I'm pretty sure I remember the board. Yeah. So that, yeah. that board was horrible, but that's what I learned to Ollie on because of my neighbor. And I didn't really get into it because that board was so lame. But then I went to the grocery store with my mom and I found a skateboard magazine. And big part of my story is that I love to research things. I love to dig deeper into the whys and the history of a lot of stuff. And that plays in later with my story and um, all kinds of other areas. But specifically here, 
I got a skateboard magazine and I memorized it. Like I went through page after page. I read every interview. I read all the credits of who the photographers were and, you know, every part of it. And I got a subscription. And then when that would come, that was, um, I was raised in the church. And so I, I knew about the Bible, but I was tempted along the way to idolize the skateboard culture. And so when I found skateboard magazines, that opened up this whole world that I could really obsess about the way I used to obsess about every one of my baseball cards in the collection. So I've just always been like a, a collector of whether it's things or information. I, I lean a lot less towards things now and a lot more towards knowledge and wisdom and things I want to gain and grow in. But that was the switch, man. When I got that magazine, I was like, whoa, I can get inside the mind of these pro skaters and I can learn why they do what they do and how they got there and um, what motivates them to risk their life on some of these stunts or, or how do they think up these really crazy combinations. So that, that sparked it. And then I went and got a nicer board and then I traded my cousin for his nicer board. And all along the way, I've had friends who have started skating and then quit skating and I just have kept with it. But a huge part of that was finding the magazine. And then that magazine had like a little flyer in it. And it was like, if you subscribe, we'll give you a copy of one of our videos. So it's not as big now because of social media. Yeah. But the every company would work hard for a couple of years and compile their highlight reel of their riders and come out with a skateboard movie. And so I would wait a couple of years and each time a new one would come out, I'd go to the skate shop and be like, which one do you got now? Like, did you guys get the new video from so-and-so? And when I got my first skate VHS videos, it was the same thing as the magazine, but on steroids. I would watch that video over and over and over. And then I would like sing along with the songs that were playing in it. I'd memorize all the tricks in order and try to study them and... Just obsessed about it. Yep. So you were. So you grew up in the church then. Yeah. So so if we were to backtrack to like before um, before this, maybe you know, age ten when skateboarding hit the picture, my story is. Uh, I'm gonna frame it this way: like God had a plan for my life, and the devil had a plan for my life. And one of the devil's biggest tricks is to convince us he doesn't even exist, right? So anybody who's listening who not so sure about this devil I'm talking about, man, that's the, that's one of the best tricks he's got is to make us think, oh, we're just here by accident. Nothing exploded in space, and this all came together perfectly, yeah. you know. But um, but the devil had a plan for my life, and one of that one of the details of that is that my dad was this uh, competitive world champion salsa dancer. Nice. He's he's 100% Costa Rican, but he grew up in uh, in California. And my dad was a, a competitive dancer, and then in the 80s was a world champion. So in his in his field, in what he did, he was hot shot, like you know the stud of the of the thing. So he's my mom was into dancing. dance. My mom grew up doing ballet and loving you know all things dance. And so when I grew up, I watched her like dance in church and choreograph stuff for for the church. And so she always had me watching ice skating where they would dance and talk to me about the athleticism of that. And so a lot of people, a lot of guys would probably see figure skating or gymnastics and go, uh, not into that. And I would always see like, they are strong. They flip a lot. They can spin really fast. And a lot of that transition into my mind of skateboarding is an art like these things. And, um, so I, I caught a lot of the artistry aspect and the athleticism aspect from nerding out on that stuff with my mom. But my dad got my mom pregnant while he already had a family. So my story is that, you know, from the get-go, I was offset with an unbalanced family. So God's design is that, you know, a family is as healthy as can be. It's balanced with a, a father to lead the family and protect and provide for the family and teach the family and be the priest of the home and, um, and to guide and nurture his wife and his children. And so my story is I grew up with a missing piece there, 
And that hugely defined the early part of my life. You know, I don't know who my, who I'm supposed to look up to. I don't know how I'm supposed to figure out how to work on stuff or fix things or there wasn't YouTube. So I couldn't just go research. How do I do a lot of stuff? So a lot of it was, I just watched movies and felt really awkward about around other guys and their dads and felt awkward around men and didn't exactly know what my place was. And so Satan had this plan to like, um, help, like help me label myself as a bastard child. Who's like an unwanted or like a, a misfit. And in this generation, that's way more common. But back then it was a little, uh, less common in culture. It was, uh, I was surrounded by a lot of families where the dad was in the home and where there was, um, way less broken home stuff. So I was just wrestling with that as a kid. And in my later years, I realized like the thing Satan really wanted was for my mom to believe that lie that's sold in culture today, that women can't rise above their circumstances and they can't, um, they can't be more than just a student or just a, a career person. Um, if they get pregnant, they should abort this baby because this is going to ruin their whole track of their life. And um, so these days, like a big part of what I do now is I, I love women at the abortion mills in my local area, and we go preach the gospel and offer assistance to them. And a big part of that motivation comes from the fact that I was on the chopping block. Like I was the prime candidate for Planned Parenthood to take my mom's money and say, you can't rise above your circumstances. This is going to be way too hard. We, we want to uh, help you. And Satan would have ended me before I began, you know? That's also, I mean, it, so much so much information in just a short time right there. But, the uh, you know, that's one of our big big problems we have in the world today is, is kids growing up with their father's home and not knowing their identity and not knowing that they're a child of God and not knowing, not having that male figure to look up to. And then they they look to belong in other places. And yeah. then it's gangs or it's drugs or it's whatever it was. Um, I love that, that you're doing stuff with the abortion stuff. So my, my wife, um, is, uh, teaches a class called forgiven and set free, um, uh, which is for post-abortive women. It's oh, actually, that's so it's, wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's women that's, that have had an abortion and she's helping teach them that God still loves them. Yes. That that's so good. And like, um, and it's, it's been on her heart to actually be out in front of Planned Parenthood. I don't know why she keeps praying on this, but she's like, you know what? Like, I don't want to get totally into her story, but when when she actually went through this, yeah, um, she 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 had this. She actually had an abortion, and mm-hmm. and when she went to the clinic, like the the vision that she remembers of what happened at the clinic was mm-hmm. like like crazy. She's like, it's real like that. Like there's these old guys shouting at you, telling you how terrible of a person you are, and then they're calling themselves Christians. So it's like this whole twisted like thing, right? How we get wrong, but I don't want to get. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's something my heart my heartbeat is really on, and and that that's um, the beauty of God's story in my life is that I come from a place where I I didn't feel like I was wanted at first, and I felt like a misfit. Like, okay, did God even want me here? Am I just an accident? You know, how do I how do I fit into all this? And who's my father figure and all that stuff? And and so that's part of the redemptive story we can get to later mm-hmm. on uh, is just that. You know, God has redeemed so much of my story and my mom's story. My mom uh, was raised a Catholic, and her sister converted when she was about 20 and then witnessed to her siblings. And uh, and when my aunt was converted to Christianity um, out of Catholicism, there was the, the clarity that she found of, I don't have to work to earn my salvation. And she shared that with my mom, and my mom 
came to faith, but my mom was still struggling with her daddy issues. You know, my grandpa was an aloof dad who just watched the TV and went to work and he didn't uh, help his wife. So my grandma had seven kids all on her lap trying to figure it all out by herself. And she went through mental illness and all kinds of crazy stuff because she was just, you know, the weight that's on moms is so heavy and so intense. And so my mom grew up in a, a home with all these siblings and all this drama. And she had a sibling who was, um, who was schizophrenic. And so that kind of ripped apart the, the family. There was a divorce, but my mom was just searching for love and affection and affirmation and wasn't getting that from her dad and wasn't involved in a Christian community where there was other men that could have blessed and affirmed her in healthy, uh, healthy ways. So my mom was searching for that. And that's part of the reason that she allowed herself to trade her, um, what she could offer physically for what she could get emotionally. You know, and so that's that's part of her story. And then she w- raised me in church, but just throughout those years, she you know she still desires to get married one day, and so she's um, dating all throughout my upbringing and trying to figure that out. And some of those guys are better than others, but oh, here's a radical part of my story that's just a, a crazy backstory. My wife and I just finished this documentary called Wild Crimes, and it's about um, crimes that have been committed in in uh, national parks. So this guy that my mom dated, and he was a family friend. We knew him through church, so it wasn't just she randomly found this guy, but this guy um, murdered his first wife and and lied about it, and then he got caught when he murdered his second wife. But in between those two marriages, he dated my mom. <laughs> so so uh, this guy was a local up in, in the Denver area, and this this uh, show just came out on Hulu and it's all about his, his story and all these park rangers that were like, this, this lady falling off this cliff seems a little mysterious. You know, like, I, I don't think we have all the puzzle pieces here. So they worked for years to like put all the pieces together and they found out that the guy murdered both wives or, or at least they could confirm the second one. And the, the first death of his first wife is real fishy too. So he's, he's in prison for life now, but this was a guy who taught me to catch a football, like wow. took me on hikes privately and he would be like, let's find a secret place out at the, the reservoir that could just be our spot. And he would, he, this guy like took out insurance policies on the women he would date or the women he would marry. And then he would uh, cash in if they died. So uh, my mom was on one of his insurance policies. So that's just a, a crazy part of my life story. A lot of people like if they talk to me or they know a little about me, they just see me as this guy who's like, I've always gone to church and I'm this Christian skater, but I love bragging on the fact that you know, the Lord rescued me out of the jaws of death in multiple ways. You know, there's right. so many places where I, my life could have been snuffed out by the enemy. And I was, you know, on the, on the hit list in so many ways, and my mom too, and, and God rescued us out of that. And I'm so grateful, but... Right. So let's, let's, let's put this timeline together. Yeah. So we've kind of jumped here and here, but you've, you've, you've got this story. This is your story. So we've, we've jumped around it a little bit. We know that you got into skateboarding around 10 years old. We know that you were, uh, you know, basically raised by your mom, didn't mm-hmm. really have a dad in the picture. Yep. So tell us more. Go, go further with this. So that's, that's basically the, the quick summary. is like single-parent home, trying to figure out my identity as a young man and not necessarily knowing where to turn to navigate that. But I was raised around faith, so I, I paid attention in church as a little kid. So I have this memory. I'm riding my two-wheel bike at age four, in my driveway, and they told me at church, like, pray to ask Jesus to come into your heart. 
So I'm like making figure eights in the driveway and saying, Jesus, please come into my heart. Jesus, please come into my heart. Jesus, please. And it was so sincere, but I was given what I call sloppy instructions. So it was like, to the best of what I took away from whatever they told me that day, it was, that was what I needed to do was just ask Jesus to come into my heart. And then the joke comes along, like, is it the left or right ventricle? Like, where do I ask him to come into my heart? Is he physically inhabiting this muscle? Is it, you know, what does that mean? I was four, right? But, um, but all throughout my upbringing, I'm, I'm like paying attention in church and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what, what is God's plan for me and, and what's his plan for this world? How do I get involved in that? And so, um, so I'm asking a lot of questions growing up. I'm paying attention to the lyrics of, of the music they're singing in church and the music that we listen to in the home. Like I, I meet a lot of people and they're, it's a stark contrast to how my brain works, but a lot of people are like, I just listen to the beat. I don't even hear the words. And for me, it's like, I could care less about the style of any genre of music. If it's a, a well-crafted lyric, then it like gets my heart pumping and I get stoked on the wordplay and the artistry of how people use the language that they have to communicate something. So if it's kind of mindless stuff, like a lot of the real popular music today that doesn't take a lot of energy to create because it's a lot of just rhyming, very simple phrases, I don't care about that too much. But if it's painting a picture with words, I love that. So part of my story is that I, I found skateboarding. I had faith, but was just a little rocky. And how do I live this out? How do I beat my own sin nature? Because from a young age, I felt guilt. I felt guilt when I uh, would sin against my mom, when I would disobey my grandma who was filling in and helping, and when I would steal things from the nursery at church. Like there's, there's different things in my story where, you know, I felt the conviction of God when I would sin. So even though for me it wasn't some intense, uh, some intense rebellion that maybe would lead me to juvie or something. It was stuff where I felt this weight of, of sin and guilt over my heart because I knew what I was supposed to do and I wasn't doing it all the time. So, uh, so then I just go to church for years and I keep stumbling through like, how do I find somebody who can train me up better? How can I learn more? Because I would see people strong in their walk. I would see people healthy and they would have, you know, a, a good balanced life where they would have a business or they would be a, a good employee or they would manage their finances well and they would have a good family. And it's like, I, I want that stuff, but you know, I'm a mess. I, I have no discipline. So when, when you're in my case, when I was raised by a single mom, she's at work a lot. And so all summer long, I'm just at home watching TV. Like she goes to work, I'm at home, she comes home, she's tired from working. And you know, we kind of do a little bit of, of family type stuff, maybe have a dinner together, but I'm just fending for myself for a, a big chunk of that. And so I'm watching junk on TV. I was raised on, you know, pop culture shows like Friends where there's just tons of everybody having sex with each other. And uh, it's not explicit and it's just laughed off. But to me as a kid, like that sparked interest in sexual things that wasn't supposed to be there. So I have this weight of guilt because my heart is, is in this um, tug of war where I'm like, I want to I want to know God. People have said he can be a heavenly father, and I don't have a father. I want that. But my flesh keeps wanting to worship other stuff. It wants to worship pleasure. It wants to uh, indulge in um, zero type of limitations and boundaries. So your part of your story is, is addiction, right? And for me, I was totally, like, ruled by sugar. Processed sugars was, was like, if I was home alone— I couldn't keep myself for 10 minutes without going back to the pantry to get more of the Reese's cups or the ice cream or whatever. And so my mom would come home and like all the stuff was depleted, all the sugary cereal and all the soda and everything. And it just, it just perpetuated to where I knew I was an addict, but it just wasn't the thing that people 
talk about like it's the boogeyman to be addicted to. I just knew that I was being ruled by my my uh, flesh, and I could tell when I would feel down and need another buzz. And so whether that was sugary stuff or whether it was the pleasure of like fantasy and masturbation and porn and all that kind of stuff growing up, there was total addictive behavior that I was dealing with and trying to figure out, how do I submit this to God? Because I know God doesn't approve of this. I know that this is a perversion of, of what he wants me to be doing. How do, I, how do I figure this out? And so I just, for maybe a decade, I stumbled through church and youth group after youth group and tried to figure it out and couldn't figure it out until, um, until I met this guy who came out of the gay lifestyle, but he was a servant-hearted guy at our church who he would just make meals for everybody. And he would start up conversations and inquire about everyone's backstory. And, you know, where do you come from? And what's your relationship with your dad like? And this guy named Will invested in all the young men at our church because God had radically saved him out of the gay lifestyle and taught him what does it look like to submit your urges to the Lord. When you feel something, how do you admit that to God and be honest? And then how do you submit that to the Lord? And this guy said, hey, man, I can help people become disciples of Jesus, and we can help you work through your addictions and your habits and your hang-ups and your lack of discipline and, you know, your idolatries. We can help you through that. It's going to take like three years. We're going to put a bunch of time and energy in. We're going to study certain books about the attributes of God, the trustworthy nature of God. How do you um, do stuff that men would, would do, like not play the victim? I heard in part of your story, you know, we are so tempted to take the victim stance on everything. And so he, he's teaching us stuff like, you know, I'm the culprit. I put Jesus on the cross with my sin. I need a savior, not I'm a victim and everything's been done to me to ruin my life. Everything's been challenging to me in my life. It's more, there are side effects of other people's sin that affect me. But in reality, you know, if nobody ever touched me or did anything to affect my life in any way, if nobody ever, uh, if their sin didn't overlap into my story, I would still be a sinner who needs the rescue of Jesus anyways. So this guy offered, you know, I'll mentor you as a man. I'll spend time with you. So we'll meet weekly in a coffee shop over a meal, or we'll have, uh, have meals together, or we'll serve at the church. We'll, we'll just spend a bunch of time together. And he was, he was meeting with like 12 guys every week. So he was living on nothing so that he had tons of time available to serve other people. And, uh, so this guy, Will, mentored me for three years, and within that process, I met who was to be my wife, and I was like, hey, I really like you, uh, but I, I can't do anything about it for three years. And, <laughs> and she's like, wait, I like you too, but what? And, and so a, a part of the story is, you know, I, I struggled to figure out how do I serve God and overcome my own sin nature because I want to be a man and I want to be a good husband and father one day. And I don't want to be trapped as an addict, just always, like you said, in part of your story is hiding in the dark, you know, whatever, whoever is, is involved in sin. It's not something you often do really publicly. Now in our culture, pride is a big thing. So, you know, even on, on, uh, pop culture, it's like the pride movement is we'll just celebrate our sin in public and call it really good, even though God says that it's something to be um, fought against. You know, for, for me, I, I hid everything in the dark and, and tried my best to serve the Lord. But until I met Will and he discipled me, it was right. really hard. So that's kind of like one of those things that seems like <clears throat> how things are changing, how this culture is changing and, and what the devil's doing with people is... Uh, you know, for us, we hid that stuff in the dark. And and I, I tell all the listeners that anything that you have in the dark, you may as well share it because Jesus already knows. 
Yeah. He already knows it's <laughs> there. So you may as well let it go because you'll you'll feel better about it too. Um, but yeah, now rather than people having to hide it in the dark, they can put it right out in front of everybody and, and oh, this is okay now. No, it's it's not okay. Right. It's not okay. And culture like surrounds you and incubates that and says it is good and tries to encourage that. But Crazy world we live in. So you're right. getting mentored by this guy. You've met your your to-be wife, your, your, the woman that is your wife now. Yeah. And you're going through this mentorship. So what what's next? So uh, I'm learning what does that mean uh, to to trust God as father, because I, I've learned that a lot of times when you have a broken relationship with dad or or your dad is, is maybe he's in the home, he hasn't left or hasn't divorced mom or hasn't gone off on a binge of some kind. Like if dad's around, but he's neglecting the family like my grandpa, um, then we learn that, okay, well, people say God's like a father. So if that's my perception of a father is is whatever whatever ways my dad falls short, then how can I trust God if they say God's like that? And so I had to dig into the word myself and read over and over and over about the attributes of God, which are all about his faithfulness, about how he is long-suffering and patient, and how he is um, he demands perfection and holiness. And I so appreciate reading about how he's higher than us and better than us. Um, but I really needed to dig in and, and recognize that he was not like all the men that I had encountered that had failed me, and not like me, because I'm, I'm constantly failing. And so to... To learn in the word that the Lord is faithful and he's a father that won't let me go, who will adopt me into his family and who paid the ultimate price to buy me out of my slavery to sin. That gave me more trust in the Lord and helped me um, begin to give him these things that I kept in the dark. And um, and then Will just taught me, um, he's part of this ministry called The Navigators that does a lot of uh, a lot of ministry in the military. And um, a big part of what they do is they memorize scripture. And so his... Uh, his particular tool that he gave us was, here's how you have a, a quiet time studying the Word. Here's how you you know learn more. Here's some great resources you can go to if you're struggling with X, Y, or Z. So he was a great fountain of, here's all these things you can take into your walk as tools to help you. And so from him, I've learned, like, keep a library of all kinds of resources. And if you meet somebody who is in need, you can loan them or give them something that can help be a tool in their tool belt. Because sometimes we just need somebody to show us, oh, this can really help with that. So um, so he just helped me. And after that three-year period, he moved away to start a church in Israel, which ended up being in Barcelona, Spain. So now he's pastoring a church in Barcelona, Spain. And I get his newsletters and he's he's saying, pray for all these new disciples that are being made out in, in Spain. And, um, you know, it's amazing. The fruit of his ministry will only see in heaven. I don't even know how many lives he's touched through that. But that's something that I want to do too is... is pour into others. But uh, one thing that he said is, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be fat. And I was like, what? He said, you have to be faithful, available, and teachable. There you, go. you know, um, And that's a big struggle that I've had is I'm faithless. I'm constantly losing my way and getting distracted by idols and things that are entertaining or feel good or whatever. And being available involves planning ahead. Like, if I'm going to be available to do something, I have to like look at the calendar and know that something else isn't in that spot. And as a young man, I'm just so disorganized. You know, only when I first got married did I learn to to use a calendar. <laughs> My wife taught me the value of planning and organization and and that kind of stuff. So he he's teaching me stuff like this, and then. It, I keep growing as I get married, but basically my wife was crazy enough to wait for two and a half years. So I met her 
we start talking and I like go, uh, go full steam. Like, Oh, you're amazing. We, we get along in so many ways. This is going to be perfect. But by the way, can you wait for two to three years? And she's just like, Whoa, dude, are you sure? <laughs> That's really hard. And all of her friends were like, he's going to, he's going to mess around with your heart. He's going to play with you. And then he's going to kick you to the curb when he finds somebody else. Cause my wife lived where, um, where Judd healed, is from in Southwest Missouri. She's in a small town, 30 minutes outside of Joplin. And for a short stint, I went and lived with my sponsor, with Judd Heald, um, with the Untitled Skateboard team. And we traveled and did ministry and stuff. So um, I got sponsored in my teen years. And because I was a, a Christian who was skateboarding, I sought out Christian skateboard companies. So this was the MySpace era. I searched, you know, yeah. Christian skateboard companies. And uh, I sent out a video to Judd. And a funny part of that story is, I said, here's my sponsor me tape. And he said, well, okay, tell me your testimony as well. And I told him my story and what, where my heart was at. And his response was something along the lines of, your heart's in the right place. You know, I think you, you'd be a good fit for what we're, we're doing here, the team we're building, but you got to work on your tricks. Like, like <laughs> it, it wasn't like, sweet dude, you know, send us some more video and, and come out and do stuff. It was kind of like, okay, we'll keep an eye on you because you know, we can tell you're serious about Jesus and that's what we're all about, but you're not cutting it with your tricks. And so, uh, you had mentioned early in the intro that the way I skate is a little more outside of the box. And because of Instagram now, that's so common. You can just pull up Instagram and it's going to feed you a hundred videos in a row of the wackiest, wildest things you've ever seen, whether it's animals doing weird stuff or people pushing their sports to the limit and beyond kind of like, um, America's got talent, you know, like the best of the best people who have honed their skill to be performance level, never make a mistake. You can find that on social media now. But about 12 years ago, I was trying to find my stride as a young skater who was sponsored. And I was on this team traveling with these other guys. And a lot of the guys that I was traveling with, like Judd, they have a, a very specific aim in their skateboarding. Judd is always like, I want to fly as far across from this ramp to that ramp and jump a gap nobody's jumped. So every time Judd goes to a skate park, he can see this path through the air because that's a, a like a strength that his skateboarding has leaned towards. And he's got all kinds of deep bag of tricks and cool talent um, beyond that. But that's one of his kind of demo things is to fly really huge on his skateboard. And for me, I was like, I don't love flying really far or falling from really far. How do I how do I contribute to this conversation of skateboarding in a way that fits where I'm at? And so about 12 years ago, there was this guy doing parkour and skateboarding, mixing it together. And uh, he's become a viral sensation since his name is William Spencer, but him and his brother were living in my, my town and they were just doing such creative skateboarding. When I saw the videos they produced, they were like going into sewer tunnels and the cameraman would wait outside and they would like, pull on like a little rebar inside the tunnel and then get a little speed. And they would like roll out of this tiny little tunnel and land in a Creek and still skate on the bottom of the Creek. And they were just doing the things that would be the culture of skateboarding. We're like, that's weird. Like, why are you skating in water? You're going to ruin your board. And they're like, because it, it caused you to feel surprised, Yeah, you know? And so I was so inspired by these guys who had a more, um, I don't know how to, we call them circus tricks in skateboarding when it's not the traditional what's been done for decades and decades as the established competition tricks. Yep. But that, you know, the way that those guys skated sparked my interest so much. So I started skating like that. I started trying to be creative and 
I knew I couldn't keep up with a lot of the ways that other people were skating in the technical or the really dangerous areas of skateboarding, but I just started to think way outside the box. And I, I found like a, a community of creative, like-minded skaters. And so that's kind of been my leaning for a long time. And now that's way more common. So the stuff I'm working on doesn't stand out that much, but, but, uh, back in the day, like that was my aim uh, as a way to, to contribute to the conversation in a meaningful way and have something that stood out. So I got sponsored, uh, and then I traveled a little bit with untitled. I lived in Southwest Missouri and coming from Denver, big city with, I mean, Colorado has 190 plus skate parks. So then I moved to Southwest Missouri and they've got like two skate parks, one of which is designed for BMX bikes. So it's just huge, steep walls and um, all kinds of um, what you call transition ramps that are um, just not the stuff that I spent a lot of time on. And then it's a really slippery park and I'm just not used to that. So I'm in Missouri thinking, man, I miss Denver. I miss all the street spots and these creative skaters I used to skate with and the skate parks that were everywhere. I kind of missed that side of my skateboarding. And so while I'm there in Missouri serving, we have a lot of downtime between shows. So it's like we travel and do outreaches like we did here in Pueblo. And then we'd have like five or six days with not a lot on the plate. And so we're young guys, like around 20. A lot of us are Christians. We realize like, I want to find a wife. So we would go to the get togethers from the college ministries and the churches and try to just mingle with other people. And, and, uh, and so a couple of us, you know, met women that we married eventually, but you know, John Andrus met a girl from that town and, uh, and her, her sister married another guy that was one of our roommates. And then I met my wife, Missy. Um, but that was right around the time that I was having these email conversations with that mentor who was going to disciple me. And so, he was saying, well, come back to Colorado and let's help you dig in so you can overcome the stuff you're still struggling with. So you, just to put the timeline on it, yeah. so you had gone out with Judd and Untitled before you started this mentorship program with Will? Yes. Okay, so you're out there doing that. You're, so you're, you're, you're doing ministry, you're, but you're experiencing the world. You're still struggling with things. And he's like, hey, come back here. Let's get it together. Yeah. And so you went back. Yeah, I moved Got back to together. Denver. What happens after that? So now, so now you've you're with Untitled. You went back to Denver. You got mentored by Will. Yeah, you finished that process. Tell us what happens next. So Untitled sponsors guys all over. They've sponsored people in different countries, and and generally, um, Judd and Untitled are looking to support and and take care of skaters that want to advance the kingdom of God. And so, long before I moved to. Um, to Missouri to work in person traveling with Untitled and supporting them, you know, locally. Um, I was getting flowed boards through the mail. They'd sponsor me. And um, if I could send them videos or photos, they would use those for their gospel outreach because at, um, at one point they were putting ads in the Thrasher magazines that had the gospel and scriptures and stuff like that. So, you know, I was, I was captivated by skateboarding through magazines. And then I find out some of these old magazines I read had ads from this ministry in them that were proclaiming the truth of God. But I was, I was uh, working with Untitled before I moved out there. And when I moved back to Denver, I was still uh, working with Untitled from a distance, but there's a local skate ministry in Denver that I was volunteering with, helping serve there and preach there or do like worship team, you know, do some music for the kids or skate with the kids. So I'm, I'm doing skate ministry, but a big part of my personal journey is I, I want to, 
figure out how do I walk with God in a way where I'm not constantly betraying God? <laughs> like how do I how do I learn to be faithful? Because I want to be like Jesus, and Jesus was faithful. You know, I don't want to spend my whole life struggling with the same things over and over and over. I actually want to grow past these. So that's a huge motivator as to why I left Missouri and went back to Colorado was I had a lot of downtime in Missouri, and I knew that all that downtime is probably not healthy for a young guy who doesn't necessarily have uh, lots to work on. You know, Judd was leading the ministry, and a lot of us were filling in behind his leadership. So I just ended up having a lot of time on my hands, and I, I wasn't good at managing my time. So, uh, so I realized I need, I need help with this. So moved back to Denver, got discipled, and after that three-year program, my wife and her family, we'd stayed in touch platonically. So we did our best to honor the rules of this discipleship program. You know, I, I just told her, I can't talk with you on deep emotional levels because that's going to be a total distraction to my personal growth. I'm just going to think about you all the time, <laughs> and I'm, uh, you're wonderful. So I just I really need to take a break and focus on the Lord and on my own growth so that I could serve you better if we do end up together. So we, So I worked on that. And then in that process, my wife finished college, and her family sold everything in Missouri and moved to Colorado. Wow. So she's an only child. So her parents were like, well, this is a— a guy who seems to be trying to honor our daughter who wants to serve the Lord and she likes him. And we've always wanted to go to Colorado because we've gone there on ski vacations. So they just thought, why not move? So they, they sold everything. Uh, and then they moved out to Colorado and within nine months or so, my, my discipleship program ended. My wife and I dated for two months and got engaged and were married six months later. So that moved quickly, but we had a three-year period of yeah. friendship where we were able to build a relationship not based around just all of our feelings, you know, how, yeah. how excited we were around each other. And, and the, the physical attraction wasn't a challenge for a big part of that because we were separated, which I, I have nothing bad to say about long-distance relationships after the way we did it because it worked out really well. Right, and well, then you're able to really deny the flesh and, and you know, keep it for the right reasons, right? So that, yeah. that God can bless that relationship the way he intended it to be in the first place. Yeah. So that's incredible. So so tell us now, so we've we've heard about you as a young man getting into skateboarding, you know, growing up in the church, mm-hmm. getting discipled, meeting your wife, being with Untitled. What do you, what, how about now? So I've been married. Uh, we're coming up towards the 10-year mark. And uh, my wife has supported me in some of my crazy um passions as like an artist. So you, you look at the guys that just like spent decades working on their, their opera or their, you know, what do you call it? Like their, you know, Beethoven crafting all his, his very intense music. For me, I've nerded out on, I really like street skating. So it's fun for me to skate a skate park, but I love finding obstacles that were not designed for skateboarding and making something out of nothing and using this natural architecture to make art. So within our marriage, my wife and I are studying the scriptures, we found some YouTube channels that have really fed our faith, and so we're growing. But then on the skateboard side of things, I'm volunteering at the local ministry, and then whenever I get a chance, I'm trying to go out and gather footage in the streets, stacking clips, as we say. Mm-hmm. So I'm obsessively like trying to get out any chance I get, and I've been working on this video project. So I'd been a part of other people's videos, and then um, all almost all of our marriage now, I've been working on a my own specific video. And usually people make a video in two or four years and they release it and they move on to make more videos. But I have that preciousness about me where I'm like, but 
I'm, I'm only going to get the chance to give it all, my all like once or twice. So I'm going to, I'm going to obsess over it. And I've, I've learned since maybe I should just release smaller projects and have consistency versus hoard it all away on the hard drive for a decade. But I made that mistake and I've learned now. And so right. last year I released um, a majority of this project that I had been working on. And, uh, and then I've got a couple more segments in the vault that I'll be releasing when I make time for it. But a big part of the reason I don't have time for that is we've, we've got uh, four kids. So our marriage has blossomed um, and been awesome. Our fourth is on the way. The spring, nice. the, the fourth will be born. We found out three days ago it'll be a boy. And so we have two girls and two boys. Sweet. But, uh, but yeah, man, that's, that's been something we've been uh, fighting for and working on is I've, I haven't um, gone really hard after business or after um, other endeavors because I really want to make sure that my first ministry to my wife and my kids is a place where I'm heavily involved. So I've, I've balanced four side jobs or I've done, you know, whatever it takes to keep the bills paid, but I've specifically intentionally tried to lead my wife and lead my kids and train them up in the Lord because I've seen examples and I met a guy at In-N-Out Burger in the Springs a couple days ago. I met a guy who said, you know, my, my dad's a pastor, but you know, my brother doesn't, he's not living for the Lord. Would you pray for him? And, uh, you know, I've seen that whether or not we take our family to church, it's super important that the dad is the priest of the home who's leading his family. Yep. So that's a huge priority that I'm on. Um, but my day in and day out now is like, when I get the chance, I love to street skate. I like making those as my personal artistry. I like that a lot. Uh, and when I do, I try to pick soundtracks that are gospel focused. Like I, even if a lot of people are turned off by, oh, he put Jesus music to the skateboarding. I know that when I was a teenager, my mom bought me a Bible for Christmas. That was one of the best gifts I was ever given. And my mom bought me this DVD from the Christian bookstore that featured Judd Heald and Vic Murphy and some BMX riders. And all these guys were living for the Lord and talking about it and pursuing their craft of extreme sports, whatever the, whatever those were. So this was a DVD called Living It, and it was produced by a ministry. And that showed me, I forgot to mention this earlier, that showed me that it's totally possible to take what you care about and do it unto the Lord. And so that was heavily influential into why I obsess so much about making skateboard videos and why I love that specific process is because that showed me it was possible that I didn't have to just go all in and say, well, God, I'll get to you later. I'm just going to go pursue skateboarding. It's because I saw believers live in it. I saw them doing that. And so in my marriage, we, uh, we found part of my, part of my video I just released last year. It gives a timeline of my life and Part of that was something we call reformation. And what that is for me is um, a lot of times the culture in our immediate peripheral vision, like what's right by us, influences so much of what we think Christianity is. And if we neglect all of history and we don't study Christian church history and what's come before us, what people have fought and died for, we think that the one local church we know is all it is. And so a big part of uh, my wife and I's uh, pursuit of our growth is we want to we wanna learn, you know, what are we missing? Are we a part of a movement that has, uh, that has been tested and tried and true throughout the centuries and that lines up with the scriptures? And the reason that we care about that is because in my teen years, I went to a couple of churches that were proven teaching false doctrine. And a big part of, you know, that part of my life was like, I don't want to be deceived. 
I don't want to be told all this stuff from somebody who is charismatic and has all this energy and this charisma and everybody loves them and they're raking in the dough, but they're teaching me something that is counter what the Bible teaches about my salvation. And so because I felt a little tricked, a little hoodwinked, you know, for the profit of others, um, I've been a part of a couple churches like that, and I, I really have my guard up. So I don't think all churches are, are equal. I think some are, um, some are filled with people who have twisted it for power. Right. See, there's, so, there's the key right there. Yeah. They're full of people. Yes, totally. Full of humans. Yeah, they're all, they're all sure. every they're church all is filled with people, sinners. right? And that's I I we we get on that a lot because it's you know, people are like, Oh, I'm hurt by the church. Well yeah, like they're humans. <laughs> they're filled with they're, sinners, they're, right? They're, they're making they're they're not perfect either. Just because yeah. they run a church or are the church or right or pastors in church, they're they're humans too. There was only one perfect man, right? Totally. And he gave his life for all of us so that we could continue to sin. Right? Like, we're just, we're gonna. It's gonna happen. I don't go encouraging that, but in oh, yeah. means, right? Knowing you know we'd I mean? sin, not in, encouraging yeah. us to pursue that, but, but knowing that we are gonna fail, right? I think uh, I read a, a quote. It could be Charles Spurgeon, and he just said, like, if you're looking for a perfect, perfect church and then you find it and then you attend it, it won't be perfect anymore because you joined it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. like, yeah. That's not possible. But, but I, but I am drawing the distinct line between um, something, you know, that I caught on to at one point, which was there's Orthodox Christianity and then there's inorthodox Christianity. There are sects that take the gospel message and totally change and twist it, or they add something to the Bible, or they take something away from the Bible, or they say salvation isn't a, a gift of God. It's something you have to earn with your own works in some fashion. So, you know, part of my journey with my wife is we've just dug really deep and, and thought, okay, well, the Israelites in the Bible, they were led to the promised land out of slavery, and then they worshiped idols and got themselves exiled out of the promised land where everything was designed by God to be this amazing spot. <laughs> and the Garden of Eden was similar, right? They're placed in this perfect environment, and then they stray from the Lord. And so part of our story is like, we don't want to do that. We, we would really like, if, if possible, to stay near to the Lord and not have to learn the hard way. Because, you know, I'm one of the kids that listened when someone would come to my, my high school and they'd say, I went down this path and it was awful. Don't do it, kids. You know, like a lot of people are like, well, I need to figure out the lesson for myself. And for me, I was like, yeah, he right. learned the lesson and he told me it was a bad choice. Like, why, why do I need to go down that path for myself? And so I've, I've struggled in my own stuff, but that's part of part of the grace of God on my life that I'm really thankful for is to tell Christian kids, if you don't have a really gnarly testimony, you still have a testimony that God guided you where he wanted you to be. You know, God led me through where I was at, and that was church my whole life. Right. But I recognized in that that I fell for some of the, the traps of the enemy, you know, just like self-seeking faith that was about me, that was about trying to posture myself as religious or as holy or as uh, righteous based on my works, not based on the work of Christ. Yep. By faith alone, right? Right. Yep. Man, that's awesome story. So as, I, as, as if you've listened to any of these or a few of these, we always, as I get to the end, I say, what's one thing, what's one thing that you want to leave with the listeners today? Man, I ramble, so I'm going to try to just take a second and gather to a, to a one no point, you know? Yeah, no problem at all. I would say uh, to the listeners that God gave us a mind, and this mind was designed to enjoy him. And, and 
one of the best ways to worship God is to fill your mind with more information about his nature and his character and his story. So that's why people are always pushing that, like, well, read the Bible. And I'm not a big reader. And so I've often struggled with, well, I'm not reading my Bible enough. Well, how, you know, however much is enough. I I struggle with that, right? I, I I lean towards visuals, movies, you know, that kind of stuff and not necessarily books. But God has given us a mind and we can enjoy him more fully the more we fill our minds with truths about him. So, um, you know, if you if you want to reach out to me and, and get some recommendations, if you're not sure where to start with that, I have a huge library of stuff that I'd love to share and encourage people with, whether that's um, easy books to read in the Bible that aren't intimidating or super long, but, you know, uh, places where you can get more information about about doctrine and theology and uh, things that can fill your mind with the truth of God. So I would just say, uh, to wrap it up, don't think that um, that being intellectual about your faith is a, a prideful thing. That can be a way to enjoy and worship God more fully. Because there's times I've sat in church and sang the same lyrics over and over and been like, we're going to repeat this song again, aren't we? We're going to sing this part over and over, but it's not giving me any new information. And so maybe... I'm supposed to be hyped up by the way they're turning the volume up or the way that they're bringing it back down and then bringing it back up. But we're saying the same words over and over. And when I find a, a, a love for those old hymns, a lot of times the reason I love them is because they constantly tell me more of God's story. I was lost in sin. I was in darkness. I was a slave. But then he sent his son. And, it, you know, it's just retelling the gospel story. Right, but, in a different way. But with more, uh, more fuel for your brain to then latch onto and then say, wow, this God is worthy of my worship. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's big, man. So how can uh, listeners find you on social media and those things? Uh, social media is a uh, controversial topic for me right now. Basically, I post skateboarding, but I also, as a Christian, want to be involved in every area of life. So I am posting some of uh, my worldview in regards to, you know, trying to fight against an end abortion and also trying to expose things that are in, in culture and uh, politics and all that kind of stuff. So on my social media, if you follow my personal page at Evan Kuzava, E-V-A-N-K-U-Z-A-V-A, you're going to find my worldview on a lot of topics, but I'm constantly trying to sprinkle the gospel in there and have skateboarding. Those are the main ones. And then all the other stuff is like my music recommendations and, and things I'm thinking about politically. Cause I think Christians involved in politics can help advance God's kingdom and help protect society from the advancing culture of darkness that wants to uh, infect our families and cause there to be more brokenness. And so that's my uh, Instagram is the main place I'm active. I have a Facebook. And then um, and then a total aside is if, if you're trying to learn how to skateboard, that's how I make my living right now is I teach skateboard lessons. And so I have a separate Instagram page that's just my business of what I work on all the time is teaching kids and adults to skateboard. And that's Rocky Mountain underscore Shred School. And I'll be releasing a skateboarding app shortly that breaks down like a master class of zero to 60. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Maybe, maybe you can teach me. That's the one, one, uh, one skill I never was very good at. I can ride many different boards, but a skateboard <laughs> is not one of them. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, if yeah. you're up for it, we'll try we'll, it. We'll, we'll work on it. So, you know, man, just a blessing having you here. Like, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being here. Guys, uh, check out uh, Evan and his pages. Check out the skateboarding. We're looking forward to the app coming through. Um, as always, fastlifeindustries.com, um, you know, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, 
follow us. Uh, if this podcast helped influence you, please share it, like it, follow it. Do all of those amazing things that help uh, build this community so we can get God's word out to more people. Uh, Evan, thanks again. And for all the listeners, have a blessed day. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Faith in the Fast Life, brought to you by Fast Life Ministries. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to rate, like, and follow our podcast page so you can be the first to see new episodes every Wednesday. If there's someone who came to mind during the podcast, please send this to them. People like you sharing the show really helps us to get God's message out to a wider audience. Visit FastLifeMinistries.com to give to our podcast and keep us running. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.